Hey, this is Matthew Pryfogel. Thanks for tuning in to the Thrive Ministries podcast. I hope you like it. I hope it brings you encouragement and brings you closer in your walk with Christ. Well, here we are. We are back with another podcast, and we're going to talk about something today that um, plagues not only the nation, our society uh, in general, but uh, but certainly the church, and Big C Church here. This is something that uh, that that is a huge issue uh, with the church here on earth. And we're going to talk about this idea of unity, right? Getting along of, of, um, you know, coming together, realizing we're all part of the same team. Uh, but before we do that, okay, um, we're going to go back and we're going to take a look at American history. Yes. Yes, we are. Namely, um, Alexander Hamilton, you know, He's at the forefront right now because of the uh, musical from Lin-Manuel Miranda. But uh, the thing that's cool about it, Alexander Hamilton, all right, incredible story uh, when you really learn about him. Absolutely amazing story. He was born out of wedlock, actually in the Caribbean, all right, never knew his father. Uh, his mother died of a fever when he was uh, just barely a teenager. So eventually Alexander... Uh, makes it to the colonies. And he uh, enrolled in college uh, in 1773. Now, if you know anything about American history, 1773 um, is right at the cusp, right at the beginning of the Revolutionary War. You know, the colonies are wanting to split away from England, and it's it's a very um, crucial time in our history. But um, Hamilton wanted to be... Uh, kind of a part of that. And when the first battles of the war took place, of the Revolutionary War uh, took place, Hamilton and some other students, they um, they joined the New York Volunteer Militia Company called the Corsicans. And he would um, go and train with them before class. And in his spare time, Alexander Hamilton, he would, he would study military history. He would study battle tactics. And he would learn all this. And he really submerged himself into this whole, you know, learning about war and tactics and, and all this stuff. Now, eventually, uh, he was recommended for promotion. In fact, at one point, the British, this is incredible, the British had a warship stationed uh, in the waters just outside New York City, and they were firing cannons on some of the strongholds that the Americans had. And in the middle of this, Hamilton was able to get a crew together, raid the British supplies, managed to steal a bunch of British cannons. And, of course, the British cannons were way better than what his militia company had. So they got this incredible uh, upgrade in, in, you know, armaments. And uh, But, yeah, he, he did all this. Um, it upgraded his militia company actually from being just a militia company to an artillery company. So by reading what the British had, he was able to to upgrade the status of, of his militia company that he was a part of. But all of his success on the battlefield eventually um, it attracted the attention of a very prominent member of the Continental Army. You may have heard of him. His name is George Washington. I don't know if that rings a bell, <laughs> but uh, but George could see uh, 
that Alexander was a incredibly valuable asset, someone um, that had drive, that had determination. And that's what Hamilton had. And so uh, George would offer him the position of chief staff aide with the rank of lieutenant colonel. Right. I mean, this is this is incredible. This is what Alexander was able to do for himself, which when you look at it's not bad for an orphan kid born out of wedlock. uh, Not not bad at all. Um, Now, after the war, Washington would keep Hamilton around. He would make him uh, the very first secretary of the Treasury in the newly formed United States of America. So not bad. Now, that's Alexander Hamilton. We're going to contrast that with Thomas Jefferson. All right, Jefferson was born in Colonial Virginia in 1743. He would become a lawyer, and he defended slaves seeking their freedom. He would climb the Virginia political ranks and would eventually represent Virginia and the Continental Congress. He would later be um, part of the Committee of Five. Those were the, the five men that were given the task of writing the Declaration of Independence. So Jefferson, you know, he he climbed the ranks kind of a different way than Hamilton. But after the war was over, um, George Washington was incredibly popular. I mean, as popular as popular could be. And when he became the nation's first president, he saw to it that he put in place the best people uh, as possible in his cabinet. You know, he did not want to mess this up. And this included making Thomas Jefferson secretary of state. So here you have Hamilton on one side and Jefferson on the other, serving on the same cabinet, under the same president, serving the same nation. The problem was this. Hamilton and Jefferson absolutely hated each other. They they despised each other. Um, and they were different in nearly every single way. Hamilton, you know, born out of wedlock and eventually orphaned in the Caribbean. You know, Jefferson was raised in Virginia and he became uh, much more of a diplomat than a military man. Hamilton was was aggressive. He was confrontational. He was openly ambitious. He was not afraid to say what he was going after. Um, he would not hold back on his opinion. Jefferson, on the other hand, was not really any of those things. Uh, he was he was indirect. He was happy to work behind the scenes. He was pretty easygoing. Um, Jefferson pursued all these different interests like farming and architecture, philosophy, science, you know. But be that as it may, these two guys, Alexander Hamilton, Thomas Jefferson, they did not get along. And it didn't help that when Washington asked them uh, to be on the cabinet, he made it sound like, you know, the way George sold it, he made it sound like each man's position was the most important one, right? So eventually (laughs) the relationship uh, between Hamilton and Jefferson, it got so bad that the government was actually having, having this hard time getting anything done. So Washington had to do something. You know, you have these two guys that that have this huge ego and they both think that what they're doing is the most important thing. And 
it became this huge thing. It became this huge issue. So, so Washington sits down and he writes them a letter. Okay, he writes them a letter. And in this letter, he told them they had to get along. All right, they had come so far. They, they gained their independence from England. They were able to fight and win this war against the British. They were now this new nation. But now they had to, what they had to guard against the most was being torn apart, not from the outside, but from within the inside. Okay? And this ties in to what was going on in the early church. All right? When you look at, in the book of Acts, chapter 15, okay, the church is growing. Now, the believers in the early church, they're going out and they are doing just what Jesus told them to do. They're bringing more and more people into the fold. They're sharing with more and more people the uh, the good news of the gospel. They're doing exactly what Jesus told them to do in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. And that's what they're doing. Um, this is also at this time, this is when we see uh, the Apostle Paul. He started his work as a missionary. He went from town to town. He was telling everyone about Jesus. In fact, at one point, um, and this is crazy because if you know Paul's story, you know he was um, he 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 grew up a, a Jew. He grew up a Jew, and he he eventually got to the point where he was um, having Christians arrested for you know claiming Jesus as the Son, and and he was having Christians put in prison. He was persecuting Christians um, like no one else. And then his life turned around so much after he met Jesus that um, at one point, some Jews were plotting to kill Paul for preaching about Jesus. That's the, that's the 180 that Paul's life took. Now, Paul would describe some of his sufferings in the book of 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. He says this, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. So Paul knew a thing or two about adversity and how to overcome that and not let these things get you down. All right, Paul knew all this stuff. Now, unfortunately, it's also during this time of the early church that this um, very real division starts to happen. All right, they've been attacked by outside forces before. They that they get that. They've been told by the Sanhedrin, who were uh, the leaders of the Jewish nation, at least once to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. However, the problem though is this: there were all these people that were were former Jews. They're now believers. They're now uh, on board. With, with Jesus. They believed that if you were not a Jew, that you had to, that you you had to go through all of the customs, all the rules, all the rituals that the Jewish people had to go through, namely the act and practice of circumcision. I will leave it up to you to go research that. I'm not going to talk about it right now. But um the thing is is that some of these guys that were former Jews had this really hard time accepting someone as a Christian that didn't come from the Jewish background. Their thought was, if you didn't know about God and worship him before, there's no way you can know him now. So you have to go through what we went through in order to believe. 
And you know what? We see this, man. We still, we see this. Sometimes that's the attitude that some people have when you walk into a church, right? That's why some people, when you, when you hear from non-Christians, they go into a church, oh, I'm being judged. Uh, they, they don't like me. They don't, they, you know, I, I'm not like them, so I'm not welcome. And they're not wrong. That's what happens, man. You, you go into a church and, you know, it, I, I've seen it happen. You know, you get the guy walks in, he's got jeans and a dirty shirt and his hair's messed up and, and he's just looking for some answers. He's looking for some love. And he's surrounded by these people giving him the sideways glance like, what are you doing here? You know, and it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to hear that because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where we come. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what background we have, that we should be able to go into a church and feel loved and feel welcome because we have a God that has welcomed us and loves us, right? That's where we should be. I'm going to look at Acts 15, um, 1. It says this, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, According to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved, right? Translate that to now, okay? Unless you sit in this pew wearing slacks and a sweater, you are not welcome here. That's kind of what it feels like sometimes, and it it breaks my heart, man. It really, really does. Now, during this time when this was written, um, Paul and this guy named Barnabas heard about this and immediately and fiercely and they protested what these people were saying and so now the elders and the apostles of the church they have to step in and they have to call this special meeting and they have to discuss this and both sides would argue their case and like what normally happens when you put people in the same room with differing opinions things get heated tempers get flared up and I'm sure there were men shouting perhaps even name calling and then Peter Peter gets up and says this in uh, Acts 15 verses 7 through 11 he says this brothers you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try and test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Amen, Peter. <laughs> Amen, brother. That is that is fantastic. But when he said this, I can imagine silence just falling over the room. All right, I would imagine that you could hear a pin drop. There are probably a lot of dudes in there that are that are staring at the floor. You know, you know how it is when you kind of get when you're put in your place. And that's when James, the brother of Jesus, the man. This is when James spoke up. James actually stood up and he he quoted scripture. And James decided that 
they would write a letter to the churches that formed from a non-Jewish background. And uh, this is what they wrote. This is in Acts 15, verses 19 and 20. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. By the way, when you hear the word Gentiles, that just means someone that is not a Jew. All right, just so we're on the same page. A Gentile is someone that is that is not a Jew. But he would tell them, James would tell them to not be involved in activities that involved idols, to not serve food that might be offensive to someone that came from a Jewish background. He would tell them to protect the values of marriage. What he was doing was saying, let's make a compromise. <gasps> we can do that? We can we can all agree and, and make compromises and give and take and really? Huh. It's a novel idea. But I think that's what's at the hearts of this whole thing. Jesus told us that the most important thing we can do as Christians is love God and love each other. It's this whole notion of us loving each other that's that's really, really important. Right? Matthew said or Jesus says in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest greatest commandment. The second like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Because here's the thing, if we're busy, if we're busy arguing and fighting and disagreeing and not getting along, or looking side-eyed at the person coming into church that, that doesn't quite look like you then we cannot be truly effective at spreading the good news of Jesus. We just can't because we're letting all these other things, quite frankly, all this other crap get in the way of what the most important thing is, and that is spreading the news of Jesus. That's why, that's why Jesus tells us that, because he knows how we are. He knows he knows the nature of us. He knows how we react to one another, that we are we are flawed and we are sinful individuals. And it's it's not in our nature to just compromise and get along. That's why that's why he commands us to love God, love each other. Now, if we go back, you know, at the beginning of this, we I talked about the example of Hamilton and Jefferson and all the fighting that was going on between them was actually hampering the progress of the nation. All right. These two guys, they fought so much tooth and nail that they were hampering the growth of the United States. Keep in mind, they're all on the same team. They're, they're trying to establish our young nation. They're trying to, to get its, its feet under it and, they're getting in the way of that. And I think as Christians, we have to understand that we're on the same team. And it doesn't matter if you were just saved yesterday or if you got saved and baptized 50 years ago. We're all guaranteed the same salvation. We're guaranteed the same salvation that someone uh, that someone gets in prison. We're guaranteed the same salvation. And so if we're going to be 
an effective church, if we're going to be effective at leading our communities, if we're going to be effective at bringing Jesus into the world, if we're going to to go out and boldly and firmly stand on the Word of God, that we're saved by the sacrifice Jesus made for us, we have to do it with love. We have to do it as a united church. We have to, we have to do it with the love and the grace that God shows us. We have to show that to other people. Doesn't matter what they look like. Doesn't matter where they come from. Doesn't matter, right? Think of all the people in the Bible. And if you haven't, I would encourage you to look up at all the different people that Jesus associated with, that he went to, he reached out to, he went out of his way to go and talk to people that were despicable in their time, people with disease and prostitutes and people that were living um, in the worst conditions. You know, one of the, one of the guys that he brought on in his, uh, in his squad of 12 was a tax man. I mean, back then, the tax guys were the most hated people in the world because they stole money. You know, and Jesus like, yeah, you, you come with me, man. I want you on my team. Right? Are we doing that? Are we looking at the most despicable and disgusting people in the world and saying, hey, I want you on my team? You know? I, I, sometimes I don't see it, man. I would love for us to love each other like Jesus loves us. That we take off our own, our own judgment and our own filter and we see people through the eyes of Christ, for who they are, and that they get the same salvation that we get. I know it's a huge, it's an uphill battle because we are human. We are flawed and we are broken people. But man, if we love Jesus and if we understand the love he had for us, man, you were you want to give that to others. You want to open your arms to whoever. It doesn't matter. I hope we get there. I really do. And I know we can. I know we can get there. It takes a lot, but I I know we can do it. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for um, this time we get to spend together. I thank you that that you have given us the example of what love is. And I just pray that, that as a church here on earth, we can do that to glorify you, that we can open our arms to other people and welcome them into your church, not just because, you know, we have comfy seats and good donuts, but because, but because there's there's a there's a truth there. There is everlasting life there. There is salvation there. Where you are, and I pray we let your light shine through us, so we can bring other people and bring your light and your truth to anyone we come across. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for blessing us the way you do. You are amazing, and we give you all the glory. Amen. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We'll try and do these every single week, so stay tuned. Thanks for listening, and God bless.